Welcome all to This Month in Sales Enablement. Felix and Devin, your hosts so eloquent. April's TOC, Transwheel Unveil, join us on this journey as we set sail. With Bill Perry's wisdom, methodology insights, sales enablement salaries, learning trends taking flight, AI expertise and well-being will weigh. In this fast-paced world, don't miss what we say. Books like Why We Sleep and Atomic Habits we cite. Insights and laughter we bring to light. So gather around and lend us your ear. This month in Sales Enablement, your podcast is here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Month in Sales Enablement. Devin, how are you going? I am fantastic. You know this is my favorite moment every month. And it's also Coachella season here in Palm Springs, so... Things are pretty wild. Oh, wow. But I'm great. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. On a private note, you know this, my three-year-old son uh, broke his leg the other day. So a bit of a state of emergency uh, over here with lots of cartoons and needy toddlers. But apart from that, I'm all right. So I can picture you sitting in your front yard watching the Coachella crowds walking past. Is that what's happening? You know I am. I sit at my window like a creepy old lady, and I'm like, what are all the cool kids doing? They're wearing cool clothes. <laughs> it's very fun for me, and I'm sure creepy for everybody else. But thankfully, it's streaming on YouTube this year. So I get to sit on my couch in my pajamas and my not cool clothes and watch all the bands. So it's been awesome. Excellent, excellent. Hey, and I also can't believe that we missed our This Month in Sales Enablement anniversary. I know. Are we that busy? <laughs> I think we are. We were like, wait a second, March was one year, which is absolutely unbelievable. It's just this show makes me so happy and I hope it makes our listeners so happy. And I just get to learn so much from you and from all of our research. It's a beautiful thing. Cheers to many more. Yeah, yeah. I also want to take this opportunity to thank you, Devin. It's been uh, great to now have the 13th episode. And of course, also thanks to everybody who is always tuning in. Your support makes it all worthwhile. And yeah, it's great to learn together. It really is. Now, we have an action-packed agenda as we teased in my monthly poem. It's become a regular occurrence now. I'm here for it. <laughs> I made it a bit shorter. I felt like uh, last time it went on for a bit too long. We teased a few things already, but let's kick things off with the insights. And we had a couple of podcast episodes last month that I want to touch on. And I also want to ask you, Devin, about your insights. The Bill Perry interview that we had on last month. So for those of you that don't know, Bill Perry is an enabler from Texas. I was lucky enough to meet him not too long ago. And he has a really interesting background because he started out his career at the U.S. Coast Guard. It's always very interesting to see how certain approaches to learning in particular are being translated across industries. And obviously, he's taken everything he could from the U.S. Coast Guard and translated it into his work as an enabler in the SaaS space. Yeah, lots of interesting insights, but I would just want to share one particular snippet with you of what he has been talking about. And so many managers miss that opportunity to connect what they just went through. Now demonstrate it to me. Sure, you went through the outreach training. You went through the Salesforce training. You went through insert tech stack training. Now demonstrate it to me. Show me how to connect your outreach to your Salesforce to your weekly pipeline generation. Show that to me. 
there was Bill Perry, and obviously what he's alluding to is roleplay and actually showcasing skills rather than just talking about them, which is obviously extremely important yes. in the Coast Guard because it can mean the difference between life and death sometimes, right? So if you can't trust somebody actually being able to do a skill, then you may be risking that person's life, but also the life of their colleagues. So this is something that he's really made a strong focus in his enablement approach. Devin, I want to ask you, like from your experience, how much role play do you integrate in your enablement approach? And do you find that a lot of organizations are generally receptive to role plays these days? Or is there still a reluctance and kind of a awkwardness around role plays? Yeah, I think there's a lot more openness to role plays than there was historically, where it was like, oh, we don't have time for all that. Let them get on the phones, let them practice in the field, you know? And thankfully, our business and enablement is much lower stakes than in the Coast Guard. That all made me very nervous. I am not cut out for that life. But I think we've learned over time. And I mean, there's been books for decades proving the point that people learn more when they're able to touch, feel, do, practice, get feedback, shift their approach. You know, it's change management, right? And you can't just listen to something and then go do it perfectly. And I know in enablement as well, so often it's like we educate on one-off topics. Here, let me teach you about Salesforce. Okay, now I'm going to teach you about outreach. Great. Now go run a cold call. But very rarely do we spend the time to make the connection between all those things. You understand the systems. How do they work together? How do you apply them? How do you navigate objections in the context of another call? And role-playing allows us to create all of those hypothetical and likely real scenarios that our teams might not get to experience based on their pipeline or, you know, the at-bats that are available to them. But we know, like, the reason why sports teams practice so much is because practice is where the magic happens. Same for musicians and all of the Coachella bands. We're going to talk about Atomic Habits, but it's all about the amount of time that you have spent performing a habit is not as important as the number of times you've performed it. So role plays are essential. It gives you so many opportunities to perfect your craft. And thankfully, I think more and more companies are opening up the space and the time for role plays to happen. Again, whether it's in a formal enablement setting or ad hoc in a team meeting or, you know, managers getting their teams together. So I'm excited to see that shift. And, you know, personally, I'm leaning into role plays more and more in my enablement strategy. So huge fan. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's awesome. I think sports analogies are kind of lame in some contexts, but in this context, it's really strong because if you just imagine an athlete that gets paid tens of millions of dollars each year and you wouldn't practice, right? Right. You just show up and wow everybody. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And using the game as practice is the equivalent of working months towards a deal and then practicing with the CEO once you finally get to present. <laughs> so Right. It's terrifying. Who does that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> The other thing to note here as well is, from my experience, that where roleplay time is best spent and where it makes the most sense to become very comfortable with it is during the hiring process, because mm -hmm. that really allows you to have salespeople not only talk about their skills, but showcase them and really early on ensure that you have really strong skill sets and really strong capabilities within your sales team, which then ultimately also makes the work for your enablement team easier. So that's just something I want to point out too. But yeah, great conversation with Bill. I would encourage anybody to tune into the State of Sales Enablement podcast featuring that episode. Now, another episode of the State of Sales Enablement podcast that we also released was about sales process and sales methodology. And that was one of the solo episodes that we just recently started doing based on 
many of the awesome articles that Mike Kunkel has released in the past. And this particular episode was talking about the need for self-process and self-methodology and why it is still relevant, right? Because there's a lot of voices out there that pull the Gartner spaghetti map out of the hats <laughs> and throw their hands up and say, self-process and self-methodology are redundant because the bias journey has become so convoluted and so confusing. Let's not even try anymore. Let's just be agile in our approach and just wing it. And this one quote of this episode, which is a solo episode of me just talking, so I'm not going to play a clip of me talking, but I'd rather read it out, which is a quote from the CSO Insights 2019 Southern Ailment Report that stated, as in other studies we've done, this year's enablement study found that sales process and sales methodology adoption rates above 75% resulted in above average gains for revenue plan attainment, quota attainment, and win rates, with a big boost at adoption rates greater than 90%. So what this really shows is that there's a direct correlation between sales methodology and sales process adoption rates and business metrics that are really tangible in that study. That data set that they utilize here is across multiple organizations. So this is not just something anecdotal that they quote here. This is hard data. And I think this is a very strong, if not the ultimate argument against the talking point that self-methodology and self-process are redundant these days. So while I was talking, Devin, I saw you shake your head consistently. So I was like, ah, my nightmare. <laughs> I love a process. That's right. That's right. I think just something to note here, for anybody who's still not convinced and wants further context on the whole topic, also maybe to also lead conversations internally with yeah. anybody in your sales team that might bring that argument up and might advocate for a more unstructured approach, please make sure to tune into that episode where we break it all down. Now, I should also mention that all the resources that we share as part of this month in sales enablement we also summarize in the This Month in Sales Enablement newsletter, which is something that we will publish this month for the first time in a email format. So previously, we've done that through a LinkedIn newsletter. We switched that around to be email-based. The quote, never built on rented land, comes to mind because LinkedIn has proven not to be the most reliable partner in a lot of questions related to content creation. So we want to make it email-based. Now, moving on, we have as the very first topic that we discussed today in regards to third-party sources, the Sales Enablement Salary Reports, Devin. That one is yours. Please tell us all about it. Okay, let's talk enablement salaries. We're going to talk the good, the bad, and more importantly, the opportunity. So we're going to take a look at insights from the 2023 salaries report from the Sales Enablement Collective. But I do want to start with why this report is so important. I'll tell you from personal experience at a former company, we worked with an outside vendor to ensure, you know, we were had equitable pay and, and we wanted to establish industry standard salary bands across our business. Very standard thing to do. So over the course of a few weeks, each of the department leads in my organization met with this external company to do full scoping and have an alignment call and gather insights to make better salary decisions. So it was finally my turn to meet with this group to discuss enablement salaries. And I was in for a surprise. So in their repository of literally hundreds of thousands of jobs, there was not one single enablement role. 
So they didn't have their typical 30-minute call. We were on the phone for hours, and we had to create basically like Frankenstein jobs from the existing roles in their database to just make it make sense. And it still felt like they were trying to fit my team and our enablement roles into a box that they hadn't even considered yet. So while we have made major strides in the world of enablement and enablement as a recognized function, there's clearly still a lot of work to be done. So in the meantime, as those companies are catching up, surveys like this are really, really important for enablement practitioners, for leaders, for your HR teams to understand what's really happening in the world of enablement salaries. And what I really liked about this one is that they dug into the data, parsed out insights based on a number of important factors. And I know, Felix, you and I are always looking for that like next layer deeper in the insights from these reports. And I think they're getting closer. So they incorporate things like team size, business type, company structure, enablement certifications, and a lot more. So if we want to click into page seven of the report, we can kind of just leave it on page seven because it basically consolidates all of the insights or the key insights and findings for folks that might not want to read through, but I highly recommend you do. We'll talk through some of the more interesting and more importantly, like surprising insights that were gathered. So to set the stage, we'll talk a little bit about respondent details and then an overview of those findings. So this was an anonymous survey. It ran from January to February 2023, so hot off the presses. It included a diverse group of folks, about 170 global sales enablement professionals at a variety of levels in their career. 70% of those folks were located in the U.S., 65% identified as female, with 36% identifying as male. Most of the respondents, like a lot of the respondents, were in the B2B space, and the majority of the respondents said they were currently in a sales enablement manager role, followed very closely by folks that held the title of an enablement director. All very interesting points to consider as we move into the insights. So first and foremost, the average worldwide base salary for sales enablement managers is $136,000. No surprise that experience plays quite a big part in enablement salaries. But what was interesting here is that Enablement professionals that cited that they had completed certifications or extra education or courses in enablement, they cited earning $9,700 more per year than the average salary. And then they also said that those without certifications earn $3,500 less a year than the average salary. So a great point for investing time and money in those courses and certifications. They will yield monetary and professional gains. And I know sometimes it's hard to spend that money on yourself, but it is clearly worthwhile when it comes to your base salary. Next up, leadership and stakeholder buy-in. Felix, you know this is one of my favorite topics. And according to the report, there was a notable difference between two groups of respondents based on the level of support they received from their leaders. So folks who said they had a great, really strong leadership support earned about $3,700 more than the average salary. And folks that said they didn't really have a ton of support from their leadership team or stakeholders earned significantly less than the average. And the difference was pretty staggering. I think it was $12,000 difference. So this highlights the vital role that senior leadership buy-in and understanding plays in enablement. Next up is bonuses and compensation. So this one was really interesting as well. So about 71% of respondents reported receiving bonuses or some form of commission at their current company. And so for clarity, the numbers that we just talked about that I just kind of rattled off to you only looked at base salary. These extra incentives and bonuses obviously can significantly impact an enablement professional's 
overall comp package and earning potential. But the interesting thing here was that folks who received bonuses also reported having a much higher than average base salary than those who don't, which I found to be quite interesting. And when they talk about bonuses, the way that bonuses or add-ons or incentives were looked at by different companies varied greatly. So some folks got a percentage of their salary annually or a flat amount or a percentage based on personal goals, company performance, things like that. And so that I'd, I'd be interested to see more standardization. I've certainly seen some LinkedIn threads that dig into that in detail. But the interesting thing here is that people said, yes, they want more standard bonuses and compensation, but they were also interested in personal investment. So companies that invested in, you know, maybe college credits or sponsored a course or certification that you might want to take. Folks were also looking for better benefits in lieu of those cash bonuses. So that was quite interesting. And again, not totally surprising. Overall, this report was full, jam-packed with actionable insights and is an awesome resource for someone who is either concerned that maybe they're not being fairly compensated and I see who maybe wants to become a people manager in enablement, they can earn significantly more in those roles. Or if you're looking to revisit salary bans for your teams. And I think most importantly, for anyone who's negotiating a salary and a bonus structure at a new company, now you have some data to back your recommendation to those hiring managers. So check this out. There's tons more information in this report, but I loved this one. I want more of these. I want them every quarter to see the changes, but a must read for anybody who's looking to level up. Awesome. Some brilliant insights there. I think any data that you can utilize to support the salary negotiations and also to understand where you're at right now, always useful. Yeah. I guess from my point of view, what I'm really keen to see is how the strategic focus of a role correlates to the compensation as well. There's still a lot of L&D teams or sales training teams that are just using the sales enablement label yep. versus highly strategic teams like yours, Devin, that have their fingers in all kinds of initiatives and are very strategic about orchestrating enablement with all the resources available across the business. So I think there's a wide range of approaches and I would be really keen to see how those correlate because that also then provides an insight into what sort of courses make sense for those different teams. Absolutely. Me as the co-creator of the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement learning experience, obviously always interested in those insights too, because we want to help our members set up for success. Just a couple of audience comments that have come through. So we had Zachary mention a resource saying the score takes care of itself by Bill Walsh. Amazing book about this which I guess is something about the sports analogies that I mentioned earlier. Now, what do we have next? Ah, another great resource that you have sourced, Devin, which is the ebook, Learning Trends for 23, What to Expect by GP Strategies. What is that one all about? You know I love an ebook. So this ebook is terrific. It's a really quick read, but there are some awesome insights. So it covers several exciting trends that I think enablers should consider incorporating into their program design. So a few highlights, and then we're going to dig into my personal favorites. But they cover the importance of creating a culture of continuous learning, which we all talk about. But it's more important now than ever to meet the changing needs of our workforce. We have businesses changing rapidly, organizations shifting their approach and their strategy. So creating that culture of continuous learning is more important now than ever. 
They also flag as a trend the role of technology, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today, like AI, virtual and augmented reality, gamification, all to elevate the learning experience and to find more interesting and perhaps impactful ways to impart knowledge on our teams, the focus on personalized learning paths to cater to individual needs of learners, a shift towards agile learning and development strategies so that organizations can very quickly respond to changing business needs. Again, we're going to dig into that one in a sec. And then the increasing use of microlearning, which we know is the delivery of content in short bite-sized chunks to improve retention and engagement. I could talk about all of these topics for about 100 hours, but I'm going to recommend everybody read the report because it's very succinct. And again, another great tool to validate some business decisions or interesting strategic moves in your enablement program. But a couple of trends I love to see, leaning into data to make better decisions around learning strategy and measuring program impact, which is thankfully all the rage these days and should be all the rage forever but love seeing more L&D type reports and resources leaning into that as well. And then a focus on the skills-based organization. So meaning a company that focuses on skills and abilities and really recognizes the critical role of skills in achieving company goals, which again, helps us to foster a culture not only of continuous learning, but of continuous skill development to empower our employees and to really leverage incredible skills across the business that might've been siloed into individual roles. There's two more. One is bringing more open sourced content into learning. So leveraging resources like Coursera or LinkedIn Learning or even external pros to come in and supplement your programming. Again, this supports knowledge sharing and continuous learning. This is an awesome strategy if you're a small team and need to create more momentum in the work you're doing. I've employed this strategy a few times and it's truly a game changer. So I love seeing this trend where everything doesn't have to come from one source. You can get really creative and, and really bring blended opinions and points of view into your program. The final piece is one of my favorites, and this is that agile thinking and really focusing on what is the MVP approach for generally like a mindset, but also approach to delivering and building content. And so this one is a great suggestion for my startup enablers out there. You have to move fast. Things are changing quickly. You don't have weeks or months to build resources and content. So focusing on this agile MVP approach is all about building super high quality content that you can continue to iterate on and make better and better, but it doesn't hold you back from driving meaningful business change. So thrilled with this report. Again, some great insights and tips to help fuel a more interesting program strategy in your business. And Felix, I have a question for you. What trends, and we'll say in the L&D space, but it can be in like enablement in general, what trends are you most interested in exploring this year? Well, I guess from an L&D perspective, something that was also mentioned in the report, I think the microlearning side of things is really something that remains really relevant and is worth specializing in just simply because people are more time poor, consumption is more fragmented. People have the often quoted attention span of a goldfish. <laughs> so we need to make sure that we are able to create learning experience that accommodates for that sort of fragmented learning. And then on top of that, I would also be interested in actually learning more about how to create the foundation for creating a learning culture. So we oftentimes talk about the cultural fit when we hire people for our organizations. 
I think it would be really interesting to, first of all, have a framework to establish a really strong cultural fit from a learning culture point of view, and then also a framework to effectively nurture learning cultures. Have you come across anything like that to incorporate a very strong focus in that intellectual curiosity early on in the hiring process? So... Well, I was going to say, I want to dig into like the elements for building a, a true learning culture. So perhaps we dig into that more next month. But typically, like when I'm interviewing folks to join my team, I want to know, like, how are you building your skills? How are you learning? How are you staying on top of trends? And I want to know that folks are reading books, listening to podcasts, reading articles. There is so much that is shifting and changing in our world daily, especially with AI and, and all of the systems changes, like I want to make sure somebody is investing time in themselves to build their skills. And I will generally ask like, what skill are you working on right now? So I try, again, it's not a guaranteed perfect hire, but I always love to engage with folks who are continuously developing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We also have in the chat, something that was mentioned here was L&D enablement trend, creating enablement content that can be accessed in the workflow. That's a great point. So just in time enablement, which in my mind, also feeds back to the micro-learning side of things. Exactly. Having very accessible content just in time when you need it. I think that's the sweet spot these days and really also ensures relevance, I guess, for the learning professional. Now, we do have, as a next agenda item, Stephanie Zarabian joining. Stephanie, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm here. Thank you so much for taking the time again. We're always keen to pick your brain on the job market and what is happening there. And for those people that aren't Stephanie fans yet and aren't familiar with the work that she does, Stephanie publishes a weekly job board with all the enablement jobs that you want to know about if you are an enablement professional. Stephanie, I want to start out by asking, have you come across any common challenges or obstacles that job seekers and hiring managers face in this market right now? One thing that I was just chatting with a great enablement pro about is that there's individuals that we see get jobs very quickly. And then there's individuals who just, it's much harder for them to find roles. I know myself, I'm very bad at interviewing. I get really flustered. I'm incredibly awkward upon first glance. And so I understand that it's very hard for people to, like, it's real. I've been described as awkward, but acceptable in interviews before. I want to get that framed behind me. Um, But I think the biggest thing is that maybe it's not your experience and maybe this rough job market, maybe consider honing some of your interview skills. I think LinkedIn learning or even just free resources on YouTube have incredible insights into how to present yourself, how to ask questions and how to, you know, get past the screener, which is killer. It's so hard to just get past that HR screener or even get to the HR screener and not just get an automated email. So maybe it's not your experience. Maybe you don't need all the extra certifications over the next few months. Maybe work on those interview skills. Got it. Just on that note, something that I have come across that people do to actually overcome that and also practice and also become more self-aware in the way that they come across is actually record themselves. So basically, Google the most common screening questions, for example, and then just record yourself answering those questions, right? And oftentimes, 
when we are flustered and a bit nervous when we are in an interview, it's easy not to be self-aware. And I think that's one of the strategies that I've come across people employ. The other thing I also heard recently that I want to share, because we have a lot of job-seeking enablers as part of the Building Blocks of Self-Enablement learning experience. And a lot of enablers that get a lot of interviews, what they're really good at is actually networking and getting introductions to hiring managers through their network. So I think that's also something to keep in mind. I think that's part of human nature that we always relate more to people that have some sort of relationships in your network. And it gives a sense of security and a sense of validation. So even if it's somebody that you don't really know that well, that can introduce you to the manager, that can oftentimes also be an advantage. Absolutely. I think engaging with different hiring managers or even individuals at the manager or director level on LinkedIn, you never know when jobs are going to open up and feeding into, to put it delicately, feeding into their ego, you know, once or twice a week as they post, people remember that. I remember all 13 people who comment on my posts throughout the week. You know, it's great to see that there's engagement. I also think that individuals really need to take advantage of all the different Slack channels. We have the Sales Enablement Collective Slack channel, Sales Enablement Squad that has their own job board, Trust Enablement, and so many different places. I know my current director found me in a Slack channel and asked a question and I answered and that led to an interview. And I get goosebumps thinking about it because like how lucky on the job hut I didn't just say, oh, that's for people who have jobs or that's for people who have all the answers because you probably do have the answers that somebody is looking for and just showing up and showing that you are contributing is a huge factor in how they could view you as a future employee. Yeah, awesome. Now, are there any other trends that you've witnessed recently that we should be aware of in the job market in terms of the types of roles that are out there or the types of enablers that are most likely to land jobs? I thought that things were going to start to cool down and that layoffs were going to cool down. And they haven't. And, you know, hiring hasn't cooled down either. So there is still hiring. I know two hours ago, I just heard about one of my favorite vendors just laid off their entire customer education team. Like a whole team has just gone off the face of the earth and we're all in a state of shock. I'm upset. I feel like all my biggest cheerleaders who were helping me be the best enabler are now in the wind and looking for their next gig. And so I think that we also need to be really vigilant. I know even just keeping an eye on different roles and different trends in the industry is really important. When you are on LinkedIn and you do see open roles, what are they looking for? What types of technology do they need you to know? What type of LMS does the company use? You going into these interviews already having, even if you've never used that tool before, or even if you've never heard of MedPick and don't know what it stands for, just knowing that you researched enough to look at that job post and you read two or three articles on MedPick to go into your interview that can make a big difference. So I'm starting to see that more companies are really featuring their tech stack pretty high up in that list for sales enablement. And you think, oh, we're not ops, like tools and processes get off me, you know, like leave me alone. But enablement has a huge part to play, especially as more tools come onto the market that enables us to reach those sellers within the flow of work, which is where I live, <laughs> where I have my little house right now. That's really, really crucial. Awesome. Now, Stephanie, I also want to highlight again to everybody that your job board is available on LinkedIn. This week, are there any standout roles that you want to highlight that are particularly interesting? 
So we've all had eye infections at the Zarabian household. So my list is a little late this week. I know it's finally not red anymore. I don't look like I'm bleeding from the eyes. But, um, my poor little girl still do. But we have a list coming out tomorrow and some jobs that are coming out. We're starting to see different companies who may have had layoffs in the past starting to reallocate those roles. So we're seeing different roles at Tableau open up, different roles at Salesforce. There's one that kind of gets me excited at Cloudflare. Different companies that have brought me in to speak to enablement, they're growing their own enablement team, which gets me excited. People who you can tell really get it. And so we are seeing that there's a lot more going hybrid, a lot more going to the office. And I I hate featuring those because I'm such a proponent of remote work. It's how I want to live my life in hybrid work. But at the same time, I think that we all need to keep that in mind that over the next couple of months to a year, we might all be spending a certain amount of time in the office. So please keep an open mind as job seekers and start to look even closer to home for different roles that are possible. That's right. The new normal, I guess, the new, new normal for us uh, to deal with going back into the office. Who would have thought? I have to buy pants. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> That's my nightmare. Yeah. Like I can't even think about it. So, <laughs> yeah. I've also gotten used to my uh, newsreader outfits. <laughs> so, Stephanie, thank you so much again for joining. It's always great to have you on. And anybody who is not involved with the Stephanie Zarabian job board, also supported by the Sales Enablement Society, please make sure to give her a like and share it with your favorite enabler looking for a job right now. And yeah, Stephanie, thank you so much. And I hope to be able to welcome you again next month. Absolutely. We'll do a Eurovision recap for everybody. And uh, uh, <laughs> Germany's got a heavy metal song. Australia's got a metal song. Anyway, yeah. we don't need to go there now. But we w maybe next month. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah, maybe we can each pick a country and do the recap. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone. Cool. Stephanie Zarabian, hey? Always incredible. Yeah. Always a highlight. Always incredible to see all the jobs that she pulls together here, even with an eye infection, apparently. So I know, I'm very <laughs> impressed. And also, I love practicing for interviews. We just talked about role playing and the power and like mastering the skills before you get into the game. Yeah. Practice those interviews. Do it with someone in your household, ping someone in an enablement community. But it's worth it to practice and really dig in before you get in front of that hiring manager. That's right. The next item on the agenda is about AI. So there's not a single episode of this month in Sales Enablement where we don't talk about AI. We've caught the AI bug, so to speak. Yikes. What is that one all about? It's on the New York Times, how to become an AI expert. Yeah. So Felix, as I learned, and as we've all learned in previous conversations, you are very savvy when it comes to AI. So I imagine you could probably lead your own AI best practices classes, but the New York Times has entered the chat. So we're going to talk about them. So this is a pop-up newsletter called On Tech AI, which focuses on artificial intelligence and the new breed of chatbots like ChatGPT. The goal of this initiative is to teach readers about AI in five days. So they try to tackle common themes and questions about the topic. I just started it this week, and it's very cool. So it includes articles, resources, prompts, and they have quizzes, homework assignments that really encourage learning by doing, touching and feeling the tech, completing exercises, and really like getting into it so you can learn and explore and understand how AI actually works. 
The first newsletter gives folks an introduction to the world of AI and chatbots in general. So there's some really nice level setting. They do get into some of the history, you know, the origin of the, the term artificial intelligence and how all of those virtual assistants that we all love, I will not say their names out loud, how those work. But the article also features profiles on some of the best-known chatbots like ChatGPT and Bing, but they also dig into trends and the ever-growing generative AI space. So all of the resources from this AI Jumpstart Learning series are live. So I think it came out April 4th so that the full month is available. You can access it via the link in the newsletter, but super excited about this one. I love kind of quick hit learning experiences to level up. And as we just discussed, if you don't know about AI and chat GPT, you are behind the trend. So get on board and take this course. Awesome. What I always find is when I talk to people who want to upskill in the AI space is that a lot of people are struggling to basically make the connection between the technology that's out there and the use cases that are being communicated and their actual day-to-day work. So I think exactly. that one is a highly personal issue and there really needs to be specialist resources. I know, I know. I've promised to create a ChatGPT Southern Amen course before. Still on my list. It's a passion project, but I unfortunately had to prioritize other things that pay the bills for now. But <laughs> it will be coming in the future. I'll make it happen somehow. But a couple of resources that I also wanted to share with you that might be able to assist you in understanding the big picture of AI, which I find really important in being on the front foot and actually understanding where AI is headed and how you can identify certain trends and how they fit into the big picture. And there's a couple of resources here. One is an article on a blog called Wait But Why of a blogger called Tim Urban. He's a TED speaker and has been renowned for writing blog articles that are pretty much whole books. So super detailed and hilarious illustrations as well. Oh, I love this. This article here talks about the big picture of AI and the road to superintelligence. So basically general AI that is not narrow in nature and doesn't need a lot of taught information on the spot to actually understand what you mean, but it understands the correlation between different topics and is really able to think independently. That's basically the ultimate AI game, which is probably the last decision, according to Tim, that humanity has to make, whether we unleash it or we control it, because if we unleash it, we better hope that it's a friendly AI, <laughs> because otherwise it might take advantage of us. But it really outlines the roadmap and really the context of AI and where it's headed. So I highly recommend everybody who wants to understand the big picture to dig in. And then from a business point of view, one resource that I can recommend that I found really useful is this book here, which is called Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning for Business, a No-Nonsense Guide to Data-Driven Technologies. So this is really an interesting book from a consultant in the AI space that actually practices or develops AI technologies for businesses to solve real business problems. A lot of case studies in there and also really tangible examples on how AI is utilized to tackle those issues, which can also act as inspiration for enablers, I think, to think about AI in the context of their work. So just a couple of resources I wanted to share with you guys. From artificial intelligence to organic intelligence, I briefly wanted to mention the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement Learning Experience, already mentioned it a couple of times in this live stream. As you know, this is the project that pays the bills for myself and my uncle. It's based on my uncle's best-selling book, The Building Blocks of Sales Enablement. 
this learning experience is really a resource that is based on proven approaches that have really developed and provided tangible business impacts for enablers in the past. Some of the examples include, some of the famous examples by now include an enterprise financial services firm that saw a $398 million revenue increase in a year, a mid-market manufacturer that improved profitability per sales rep by 11% in just four months, and an SMB SaaS company that increased sales rep sales per rep by 47% in nine months. So these are all proven approaches and frameworks that allow for customization and application in your work as enablers. And we also have loads of enablers that have taken advantage of the 50% discount we offer for job-seeking enablers. So if you are interested in taking your enablement game to the next level and truly make a business impact with your enablement work, please consider checking that out. Enough from the sponsored content. (laughs) We also have another tool that streamlines things and helps you accelerate things, which is from HubSpot that has launched a new AI tool called ChatSpot. What is that one all about, Devin? They sure did. And let me just plug, because I've taken the Building Blocks course and I've read the book, it is super comprehensive. It is incredibly actionable. You know how I feel about that. I love a resource. I love a template. I love an example. So happy to talk more with anybody about it, but it's something you can actually use. And so you mentioned no nonsense in the last article. I'd call this no nonsense and super actionable. So I just have to share that because I'm obsessed. But let's talk about AI and technology and all that good stuff. So HubSpot has launched ChatSpot, which is the most adorable name, which is an AI-powered tool that uses ChatGPT technology to simplify and streamline basic CRM tasks. So this is like the sales team and RevOps dreams coming true in real time. But part of the chat spot offering is called Chat UX, and it's designed to cut down repetitive tasks for sales and marketing teams. Nothing better. So one example that was shared that I loved, I thought it was really compelling, was the task of adding a contact to the CRM. Instead of searching through menus, the user can just type in the contact's name to chat spot and boom, task complete. It also can be used to provide insights during the sales research process, can handle questions about specific markets, organizations, or industries for the prospect that you are engaging with. The most exciting part to me, I don't use HubSpot, but someday, is that ChatSpot can build emails and messages that automatically include contextual information about your prospect's organization and anything you might want to include in that note. And so in enablement, we focus so much on ensuring that our team's are spending their time on revenue generating activities. We want to eliminate the noise, get rid of all the admin work. This is one step closer to getting there. So it also has can pull in data sets through its integration with ChatGPT. So it can actually enhance reporting within your system. Again, time saver alert. There's tons of integrations, Dolly 2, Google Docs. But of course, ChatSpot is not alone in this game. They are part of an ever-growing list of generative AI tools like Einstein GPT from Salesforce. But I am super excited to see where we go with this because we all know the pain to have our sales team enter in all this information, do all this admin work when they just want to go and be amazing. So thrilled to see where we go with this technology and love that we're making it easier for our teams to do their jobs. Yeah. Totally agree. I think this is such an incredible time at the moment and such a exciting time because we finally see AI solving problems and adding value. It's no longer just a vague concept that's kind of floating around as a future trend. It is really something tangible that adds value right now. And 
I'm incredibly excited to see all those sales tech and martech companies integrating AI into their platforms. And I've seen some awesome integrations. I just want to do a shout out to one of my clients, which is SalesReach. So it's a sales tech startup in Australia, and they've done incredible work around integrating ChatGPT into their platform. So I would highly recommend for anybody in sales leadership roles that is keen to explore technologies like ChatGPT and understand how it can add value to their sales teams to chat to those guys and get a better understanding of how that works. So love it. Yeah, very excited. And I'm keen to see more of it from other vendors as well. The next item we have on the agenda is an article from the Self-Health Alliance. And that is actually a vendor that provides mental health services to sales teams. So it's, um, from my understanding, a consulting business in that space. Very interesting that there's vendors operating in that space now. And what they are doing here in that article is they're really pretty much outlining the impact that mental health has on sales teams and self-performance in general, right? And they make the case for emphasizing work around mental health as part of sales enablement here in this article. Just to share a few stats that they share here in this article. So what they say here is that prior to the pandemic, more than two in five salespeople struggled with their mental health. And more recently, 52% of salespeople said their mental health is worse now compared to the six months leading up to COVID, right? So it's definitely an issue that is increasing and that is especially prevalent and especially increasing in younger adults over the last decade. So certainly something to be aware of on that front. And Challenging the status quo is not only the right thing to do because it's morally the right thing to do, but it's also actually the best way to close more deals in sales, according to this article. Yeah. What they say here is that it's not a linear thinking around sales enablement, meaning that if you have a sales enablement program, you address a certain challenge that fixes a certain part of the sales process or a certain part of a sales effectiveness challenge. But the argument that they make here is that fixing or addressing mental health issues within your sales team actually has exponential benefits, right? So that means that addressing those issues has an effect on all kinds of areas across your sales. And what they say here is you have that, and we talk about atomic habits in a minute as well with those incremental improvements, but it says here, you know, it has 1% improvement in confidence, 1% improvement in resilience, 1% improvement in coachability, and so on. So there's an exponential improvement here. And what they say in general, or the argument that they make here, which is their final argument, is that mental health and sales is the ultimate leading indicator for self-performance, right? We've talked about leading and lagging indicators in the past, meaning leading indicators basically showcase the progression towards a goal while lagging indicators measure the actual goal. And what they say here is that mental health is a leading indicator for in the sense of the anxiety and stress, pain, exercise and healthy eating, sleep, and happiness as well, right? So all those are leading indicators for self-performance. Very interesting article here. Also something to consider, I think, for self-enablers. And I want to ask you, Devin, how would you describe the degree of mental health awareness in sales from your perspective? And have there been dedicated initiatives in the organizations you work with that specifically address mental health and sales? 
Yeah. So I've had the privilege of working with sales leaders who make it a deliberate priority for their teams to take care of their stress and mental health. We actually even built mental health time and resources into our day in the life model for our sales team. Not every organization focuses there, but if you're interested in in digging in more, folks out there like Kevin Dorsey, who's a sales leader and host of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast, has built this mental health and taking care of yourself into his sales methodology or, or approach, whatever you'd like to call it. So I'd say he's a great person to follow if you're looking to incorporate more of that into your sales enablement strategy. But to your point, Felix, like, we need to nurture the humans who are responsible for keeping the business moving, right? Salespeople are so much more than their quota, and there are things that we could and should be doing daily for sales and other teams. So I think the mindset that I've seen in, in organizations out there, especially now, given the state of the world and, and the economy is, you know, we need to squeeze more out of less. We got to get people, you know, higher quotas that are more difficult to achieve your numbers on a page. And we need to take a step back. Much like we need to be investing in enablement and training and technology, we also need to spend time investing in the mental health of our teams. And I think a lot of folks don't understand it and don't understand the importance of facilitating a healthy work environment that embraces mental health, that shares resources, that encourages team members to take the time that they need. I actually read a, an HBR article today that talked about how employee experience, so the employees in seat the employee experience in your organization is directly correlated to customer experience. And we know so many customers are focused on that customer obsession and, and really building a great customer experience. Well, if you're not investing in your teams and making sure that you're focusing on the whole person, you're also in turn neglecting your customers and that experience. So lots of work to be done there is what I'll say, but resources like this and, and folks that we just talked about are paving the way for this to become the standard. Awesome. If anybody wants to gain access to all these resources, please make sure to subscribe to the newsletter. We include the links as well as context for you. So this is not just a collection of links, but these are actual insights that we deliver with those resources. But Devin, I'm afraid we're running out of time today. There was so much more that we wanted to cover, including the book reviews. We had another article that talked about SaaS utilization. I think we need to move those again to next month. Can I give everyone an assignment? The assignment is, and this is a spoiler, go and pick up a copy of Atomic Habits right now. If you haven't read it yet, go get it. If you read it already, get the audiobook, and we will talk about it next month. It's fantastic. Awesome. Well, Devin, on that note, thank you so much for joining again. And thank you so much for tuning in. And we will speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Next time on The State of Sales Enablement. To me, I think half of being good at coaching is accountability, both for the coach and for the person. If all you did was keep track of weekly goals and that's all you did and you were a crappy coach, you'd do okay. <laughs> Just because that accountability partner does so much by itself. <laughs>